Hey everybody, welcome back to the Green Light Podcast. Green Lauren's quick on it today. That's Lauren. <laughs> and I that's Jackson. There you go. And I this like, is <laughs> the Green Light Podcast. Lauren, tell the people what we do here on the Green Light Podcast. We read unproduced plays and screenplays by new writers and interview them. And that is exactly what we're doing today. Yep. Yes. Today. Uh, today, our script is We're Never Gonna See Heaven by Colin Maddox. Yes. Yes, and uh, it's a great script. We're actually about to record that script. And preemptively, preemptively, I'm going to say, uh, this this script is set in New York City. Uh, we are going to be doing some, like, some light New York accents, maybe. Yeah. Just, like, very light. So don't expect, like, full-on, like, hey, Tommy, what are you talking about? You know, so don't expect <laughs> full-on that. You'll, you'll see a slight twinge of that, but we didn't want poor New York accents to take away from the script. True. So, you yeah. know. We're, oh, and speaking of the script, this is an excerpt of it a full-length, full like, 68-page script. Yes. Um... So we are doing the first 15 pages. Yes, for you. and it is a lot of fun. It's a really good script, you know. We're really excited quick, about it. Quick, witty dialogue. And we have a great interview coming up for you later with Colin. Which we uh, have already done. Yes, that, that one we have. Uh, it's a great time. It's a fun time. Uh, just just hanging out with a, with another, not another Iowan, <laughs> because we are not from Iowa. But Colin is, and he'll tell you all about that during the interview. Yeah. Uh, so this intro is going to be a little short, actually. Uh, we only have one true detour this yeah. week. Yeah, well, we wanted to, our, you know, we're reading the 15 pages of the play. It's a little long. There are definitely some monologues in there. Yep. And then our interview is a little bit on the longer side, too, so we wanted to keep this intro on the shorter side. Yep, exactly. And we have also, as a house, been re-watching the Harry Potter films, mm-hmm. so that has taken up a lot of our, <laughs> our movie-watching time. Yeah. Uh, we just finished the second one, Chamber of Secrets, last night. Very good. I believe the longest one. Yes, I, I think probably. Yeah. I, th- they're all uh, well over two hours, yeah. so none of them are necessarily <laughs> short. But. Yeah. Yes. Uh, speaking of rewatch, we also just watched Singing in the Rain for our November Green Lit that episode. That is 100% correct, Lauren. Yeah. And uh, it was a rewatch for me, first time watch for Jackson. Yes. It's a lot of fun. So if you want to check out that episode, we uh, have some drinks, watch the great movie, and give you some discussion and commentary on it. That is on the $5 level on our Patreon. Yes. So, yeah, that one is a lot of fun. As Lauren said, my first time watching it, it was it was really good. I gush over it. I gush over Cosmo, over the dancing, over everything on that green lit episode. And normally I'm the one who handles the movie trivia, but Lauren actually took the reins this time because she has yeah. seen the movie many times. So if you want some Singing in the Rain trivia courtesy of Lauren, go to our Patreon. Boom. Do we have any new reviews? Is that what you're looking at? No. Ah, how dare all of you! If you are listening to this and you haven't reviewed us, shame. Literally, what are you doing? Shame. While you're doing it right now, what else could you? Well, you might be driving. You might be doing many other things while you're doing this. If you're driving, don't review us right now. But actually, you know what? If you're driving, pull that car over to the side of the road. (laughs) Get on your Apple Podcast app if you have an iPhone, and you give us. A five-star rating if and If you don't review. live in L.A., pull into a parking lot because there's definitely parking if you're not in L.A. Yes, true. Or New true, York, true, true, I true, guess. True, true. Uh, I guess other things. Follow us on social media uh, at TGL underscore pod on Instagram and Twitter. At Greenlight Pod on Facebook. Um, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, those are the big things. And check out our other podcast, Who Is That? The Masked Singer podcast, if you like The Masked Singer. Yes, true. That's a lot of fun. We have a really big episode coming out this week, Triple yeah, Elimination. We do. Crazy so that, that should actually be out right now. Yeah, as, if you're listening as to As you're now. listening to this, 
finished listening to this, then go head over to Who Is That? We'll be have a lots of recaps and reactions. Should yeah. be a Link lot of fun. Link should be in the description. So yes. boom. Um, also, we have a new, we have a third co-host. Yes, now. we do. Uh, they've been very silent. They're, I would consider more, them more of a producer, actually. That's true. That's true. Well, he does have little show. headphones on. He does. <laughs> um, yeah. So in case you don't know what we're talking about, we actually just posted on social media before this on yes. Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill, the podcasting sloth. Yes. Uh, so a little bit of background. Jackson and I have been dating for six years. Exactly yes. six years yesterday. Exactly six years yesterday. Well, and by the time the you're 30th, hearing, yeah, by the time you're November hearing 30th. this, it'll be exactly six years, four days ago. Yeah. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I always tell Jackson like I really don't need any more stuffed animals. And I never listen. He never listens. That's true. So, um, but he he picked out a pretty small one this time around. I did. Um, so his name so I is half Bill the Podcasting Sloth. Well, it's actually kind of funny because it's really just like a sloth head with arms and legs. Sticking out of it, yeah, really tiny. With earmuffs on, but we're calling them headphones. Yes, and they are—they're wireless, so he's—he's he's really up to date. Yeah, but yes, so Bill will be here, uh, just just Not as speaking, our producer, moral support. Yeah, exactly. Just the the show mascot, if you will. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, just so we don't leave, we actually are also having on a guest actor. This is a lot of intro. Oh yeah, but we're, we're having on a guest actor as well, so you will meet him coming up. But we don't want to leave him waiting because we have 15 minutes before we're supposed to be meeting with him to yes. record. So shall we jump into our singular detour of we the week? Shall so when we were recording our big old Thanksgiving mega detour thankful episode last uh-huh. week. We were seeing a lot of ads on IMDb for Happiest Season, a yes. brand new Hulu Christmas movie. Brand spanking new. With a stacked cast. Very. Like this, this, Kristen Stewart, Aubrey Plaza, whatever his name is from Schitt's Creek, Dan Levy, Dan yeah, Levi. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, What's her name? Mackenzie Davis. Mm-hmm. Who else was in this movie? There were a lot uh, of people Allison in this Brie. movie. Allison Brie. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot Allison Brie. Yeah. After watching Glow and Community and everything else she's ever done. Yes, exactly. I'm trying to see if there's uh, Victor Victor Garber, who you oh, might not, re- yeah. whose name you might not recognize, but who you will if you see him. Um, uh, Mary uh, Steenbergen. As well, someone you probably won't recognize until you see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- yeah, that's that's the the main cast. Yeah. Um, all right. So I have a log line pulled up for this. Sweet. Okay. So first of all, this is a... Um... Oh, sorry about that, folks. Uh, we want... <laughs> I was like, what is that? The Alexa wanted to be another co-host on this podcast. <laughs> Did she hear me? Yes, she did. Wow. Yes, she did. She is, so, yeah. She's always listening. I hate her. Exactly, exactly. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so um, this is, Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis are a couple, um, and Mackenzie Davis, so her character's name is Harper, her family does not know that she is gay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, meeting her girlfriend's family for the first time can be tough. Planning to propose at her family's annual Christmas dinner until you realize that they don't even know she's gay is even harder. Yes. When Abby, Kristen Stewart, learns that Harper, Mackenzie Davis, has kept their relationship a secret from her family, she begins to question the girlfriend she thought she knew. Yeah. So yeah, so basically uh, a little more backstory. I don't. You might have just said this. I also just woke up from like a twenty minute nap, so I might be a little bit behind. A little loo. Yeah. Uh, but Mackenzie Davis's parents. Mackenzie Davis. What is her name? At or no? 
Harper. Yeah. Her parents are very conservative. Yes. And her father is also running for mayor yes, of their town. Of their town. So, you know, they this Christmas is They're sort of a big, big campaigning time. Yes. So big on public appearances, a lot of different events happening that their father needs to attend to be in the public light, to get his name out there, etc. etc. So this is kind of a big deal. But Harper brought Abby, who is Kristen Stewart's character, over to their house for Christmas at it just saying that they're roommates. Just uh, bring my yeah. family home. My roommate's an orphan. Can she come over here? That's Basically, kind of their Abby deal. Is, Abby is very much out um, yes. to everyone in her life. Um, her she her parents uh, are no longer alive. Correct. So she's she not actually really, is an orphan. She's not really used to celebrating Christmas. She usually just kind of pet sits for everyone. But yeah. she decides to accompany Harper and finds out literally on the way to the house, like they're most of the way there already, that... Um, Harper is not out and she will be posing as her roommate. Yes. Which, which is wild. Which, let's start there, shall yeah. we? Yeah. Th- that is... Honestly, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I hated Harper this whole movie. I think... She I, did not redeem herself in my eyes. I think that is the biggest flaw of this movie, is the fact that it is... Harper has... Not that she doesn't have redeeming qualities, because as a person, she's charming, she just does a lot of things that really, like, she does pretty much one good thing by the end of the film, and that's eventually telling her parents. After, after repeatedly, she's pretty much already been outed by yeah, her sister. Well, and after repeatedly denying, like, like saying no, even g- when given the opportunity, yeah. not revealing Flirting with that, her ex-boyfriend from high school yes. to, as a cover-up, like, yes. all kinds of stuff. Yes, so uh, Harper is a... <laughs> I, I, Kristen, Abby, Kristen Stewart is more our protagonist, but Harper is not a likable character. You just, because, yeah. because you actually do, and, and credit to Kristen Stewart, you really do fall in love with Abby. Like, you, yeah. you definitely, And um, I just want, like, her to be happy and valued, and I just yeah. don't feel like Harper's doing that. Correct. And I think, you know, some people criticize uh, Kristen Stewart's acting at times, especially coming from the Twilight movies, but you know, they, which is a bit unfair. I, sorry, I just <laughs> kicked things, uh, which is a bit unfair in my mind, but I think this movie helped her play to her strengths. Yeah, no, like, she's very good at specifically this. Yes, specifically <laughs> playing the not outed girlfriend, pr- fairly awkward. Still, well, no, she is out. Well, but I, I guess not outed together with oh okay you you get what i'm saying like yes like her and harper have not revealed what we're saying is that kristen stewart is very good at playing a lesbian yeah that is (laughs) that that's the moral of the story here um she's a queen yes exactly she's great um the whole cast is great however there is okay there are a couple things i want to talk about i guess while we're talking about abby kristen stewart's character let's talk about aubrey plaza Yes. As Riley, who definitely uh, is one of two characters in my mind who stole the show. Uh, one of three characters in my mind who stole okay. the show. <laughs> um, she was great. She was she, she played was a Riley. different role yeah, than yeah, I yeah. have seen her before. She was Riley, so she was Harper's first girlfriend, ex-girlfriend. She yes. was kind of her best friend growing up, and their uh-huh. relationship fell apart because, you know, um, Harper basically... Okay, someone found a love letter that Riley had written to Harper. Yeah. And Harper basically threw Riley under the bus and outed her without outing herself. Said that Riley was obsessed with her and was gay. Harper has a history of doing these things. Yeah, yeah. So, like, really (laughs) crappy thing to do. Um, Excuse me. Yeah, but anyway, but, you know, it's just, like, because Abby 
so much of the movie, she isn't really able to be around the family. They're all doing things without her. She yeah. ends up kind of finding a little bit of comfort a, in a Riley, safe haven, just like if you as will. having someone to hang out with, as yes. someone who knows that she's gay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, very comfortable. Just with like it. not having to pretend, I guess. And, you know, Riley very much recognizing, are you sure Abby is out? To everyone? Yeah. Well, not to the family because Harper didn't tell them, but she's in her normal life. She's out to well, everyone. Well, yes, in her normal life. I, that's what I, I meant. She, But not out to the family. No. I, that, that's what I was oh, saying no, earlier. Oh, no, She's not out to the family. Yes. That's, oh, what I, okay. that's what I was saying earlier. Sorry. Well, yeah. No, no. They they think that she just had a recent breakup. And then when John shows up, they're, he's like, oh, I'm the boyfriend. I came to get her back. John jo- Stan Levy. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, you're right. Um, But yes, uh... Riley Aubrey Plaza's character recognizes in the Abby situation yes, that she went through. Pretty pretty clearly. And so yeah, they they sort of develop a relationship. It never really in my mind ever got to the of course everyone wants them to end up together. It never they look got great to together. Like, they it was never at a point where like she was cheating on Harper with Riley though. And truly not even close. No, in not my even mind. Close. Like it was a very respectful like Friend relationship kind of thing. Yeah. They kept and their distance. That maybe could have developed and maybe we all would have liked to to scene. I know yes. I would have liked to seen Me that. Too. That would have been very nice. But once again, this is uh, this is Aubrey Plaza playing a very different role than what we have seen her before. Um, I've seen her in obviously Parks and Rec is probably the thing yeah. most people have seen her in. I've seen her in Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Yeah. I have seen her in Safety Not Guaranteed. I've seen her in um, Ingrid Goes West. Yes. So, but but uh, she's mature in this. She's she's very charismatic in yeah. this in a way that she's not in most of the other stuff yeah. that she does. She's not She's like very weird in most of the things that she does. Yeah. She's either like super awkward, super, you know, um Parks and Rec Aubrey Plaza like kind of like, goth. Yeah. But in, in this she's a grown adult. She's She's like she's like a doctor at Johns Hopkins yeah. like Yeah. She yeah. she is refined and she is very comfortable and confident in who he in who she is and she's she's great. She yeah. is great. So if you don't want to fall in love with Aubrey Plaza and Kristen Stewart as a couple and individually, don't watch this movie. I'm but trying to come up with do. a good Riley Abbey couple name. Rabby. Rabby? <laughs> Rabby? <laughs> um, I like it. Uh, Ab- Abley. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, you, if, if you put the first part of Abby and the last part of Riley, it's still just Abby. <laughs> yeah. So it's got to be Rabby. Rabby? Or uh, Rylby. Yeah, I think Rally. we're going to go Rabby. Okay. <laughs> but one one other person that I want to highlight is the Mary Holland, who is one of the writers of this, who also plays the character of Jane. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about Jane? Yes, so uh, Harper, uh, who is Mackenzie Davis, um, let me find, uh, Sloane, played by Alison Brie, and Jane, played by Mary Holland, are three sisters. Yes. You know, uh, Harper and Sloane kind of have always been competing to be, like, best sister in the eyes of like their parents. Like, favorite daughter. Yes, yeah. al- always, always fighting for their affection. And Jane's kind of the weird one. Jane's and, always been left out. Not even kind of. Jane is the weird one. The parents <laughs> straight up say, like, we gave up on Jane pretty yes, early. correct, correct. So, but Jane, she is... So funny. She is one of the two main sources of comedic relief that we get in this yeah. film. The other being uh, John, played by Dan Levy, who is great, who is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, Jane, uh, uh, I have never seen her in anything, to my knowledge. She looks familiar to me. I don't know where I know she her She does. Um, um, oh, but yeah. turns out she was in Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Oh. Interestingly hmm. enough. 
Uh, I don't know if she was a big part, though, because, yeah, a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing, she, um, she's done roles. a lot of VO stuff, oh, interestingly. Okay. Cool. But, yeah, she... I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw her more as a writer and as an actor. Yeah. Because, like I said, she was outstanding. She was hilarious. She chewed up the scenery. She's a <laughs> character you can fall in love with, for sure. Yeah. Uh, wanting, uh, the, oh, overall, I really liked this film. Um, yeah, I, I really I, enjoyed it, except for Harper. Yeah. Not that, that the actor was bad, just that I don't think they did enough to redeem her at the end. It was, yeah. She... <sighs> I, like, I just feel like... I was on Kristen Stewart's side when she was like, I'm done. Yeah. And I just don't think Harper earned her back. Now, a question for you. Would you rather have seen Harper do more to earn her back to earn her back? Or would you rather have seen Kristen Stewart make the decision that, you know what? No, I don't. I You apologize, but it's too late. I'm going to continue with my life. Maybe strike up something with uh, Aubrey Plaza's character. Yep, Maybe that's just, what I want. I think that's fair. Well, I think that it's like been, I... That does defeat the holiday rom-com Which, thing. So I understand yeah. why they did what they did. Yeah. I just feel like if they wanted to fit in that holiday rom-com bubble, they needed to do more to redeem Harper. Yeah, no, I agree. I definitely think they should have done more to redeem However, Harper. However, in terms of in which that. characters I would like to see together, obviously I would like to see her with sure. Riley. And it's like th- there was sort of towards the end, uh, John... Uh, played by Dan Levy, uh, who has sort of been this uh, this figure that Kristen Stewart's character can do- go to in times of need. She could talk things out with, you know. He sort of talked about his coming out moment with his parents and how difficult it was, how how was, tough like, it is. He was kicked out of the house. Exactly. Yeah. Which, once again, is granted. And I, I feel like the movie was trying to say that, you know, what McKin- what Harper is feeling is valid. She has, Which, of course, it is. It, which, of course, it is. However, I think... Uh, something that the movie didn't necessarily recognize, which I wish they would have. And they they do it a little bit, but the fact that she ends up with her is kind of, eh. I wish they would have said more that, yes, Harper has a right to feel that way, but also Abby has a right to be with someone who's ready and willing to accept her now. Yeah, and Abby, yeah, Abby kind of says that with like, you know, like John talks about you have to be ready for that coming out moment, you know, like, yeah. Right before you open your mouth, you have to understand the potential of what could be coming. Yeah. And Abby was like, okay, I get that, but I need to be with someone who is ready for that. Well, exactly. And, and like, they mention it, but then, I mean, and of course Harper does tell her parents, but not really through a moment of growth, just through a moment of necessity, because her sister yells it out, you yeah. know? I, I, yeah. I just, I, I liked a lot of things about this movie. I liked a lot of the humor in this movie. I liked a lot of the characters in this movie. I just wish they would have done a better job with that and with making Harper a more likable character. Yeah. Truthfully. Yeah, yeah, because that, that's really the big thing is like, yeah, I just don't know if that I saw a lot of growth from Harper. Yeah, yeah. But it's the Christmas season. This is a good, fun Christmas movie. Uh, I guess we, spoiler alert, we kind of did <laughs> talk yeah, about the Yeah, we spoiled a lot of stuff, sorry. <laughs> um, you but, know what was going to happen. Sure, 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 sure. This movie, it's good. It's definitely something worth watching. Uh, you've probably seen a lot of Christmas movies, a lot of the same Christmas movies over the years. Over the years. This is a good one to add to your repertoire. Yeah, it's a new one. It's a new one. And it's it also just like, there are just not enough rom-coms, and especially not enough holiday rom-coms that have gay couples yeah you know so it was just really nice to have that for sure you know i agree yeah okay 
that is gonna be our singular detour. We we spent some we spent some meat on it, so we I spent think, a lot I think of time. Was, I think that was worth it. I know it's brand new. It came out last week. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Spoiler warning. It's too late, but spoiler warning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. sorry. We may go back in and edit something in where Put it's a like spoiler alert. In. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but anyways. Too bad at this point, if you're still listening. <laughs> Coming up next, we have our script reading of We're Never Gonna See Heaven by Colin Maddox. Don't go away. <laughs> Oh man, that's something we didn't warn you about. Yeah, so sorry, sorry, we, Kenny. <laughs> we are here reading We're Never Gonna See Heaven by Colin Maddox, and we have a special guest actor with us today. Yes, that we teased on our intro, actually, so now yeah. you're finally gonna get to meet him. <laughs> Kenny Hurtling, how are you doing, Kenny? I'm doing pretty well, folks. Just, you know, moving and grooving, as I like to say. Always, always keep moving, doing whatever I can. Happy to be here tonight. Well, for me tonight, I know for you folks, it's also oh, tonight, six thirty. Yeah, <laughs> just hit evening for us. <laughs> uh, so, Kenny, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, in a couple sentences. Yeah. So, my name's Kenny Hurtling. I'm an actor living in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, my day job works with Indiana University. I'm a conduct coordinator for that uh, that university. And then, whenever I can, I, I act. I read. I do musical theater if possible. And, you know, on fortunate occasions, I get to hang out with you folks and, and read a few uh, works that I haven't been introduced to before. Wow. So, yeah. On cool. fortunate occasions. We we feel very fortunate to be here with you, Kenny. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So, we have a kind of crazy connection that we, we just talked about. Yes, um, we do. <laughs> Uh, Kenny, do you want to talk about it, actually? <laughs> yeah, sure thing. So uh, we were just chatting uh, as this all started get, getting to know each other. And uh, they mentioned that they uh, were from North Carolina and they saw my eyes light up because I'm also <laughs> from North Carolina. Uh, I've been living in Bloomington for just over a year and a half now. And I lived in, in Raleigh area uh, for a decade of my life. And during that time, worked at such universities such as UNC Chapel Hill, North Carolina Central University, and Jackson happened to be at UNC Chapel Hill mm-hmm. while I'd been working there. We, we didn't cross <laughs> paths, yes. but it was an interesting connection as well as just being from North Carolina in yeah. general. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. It's, yeah. It is such a small world. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So I think, I guess that's enough about us. We're interesting, but I guess that's enough. (laughs) Um, But I think we can sort of go ahead and jump into this. Uh, So, yes, as Lauren said, we're going to be reading We're Never Going to See Heaven by Colin Maddox. Yeah. Uh, So let's do some of these character introductions. So um, I will be reading stage directions. Uh, There is also a character who does not appear in this excerpt since it is an excerpt of a full-length script. Uh, Her name is Sister Pat Marie. She is a woman in her 60s who is Puerto Rican. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be reading for the character of Tommy, who is a male in his 20s. And I will be reading for the character of Boyle, also a male, in his 40s to 50s. All right. The time is winter, present day, place, St. Rocco's Cathedral, the Bronx. The lights up on a church. We see four pews, two stage left, two stage right with an aisle in the middle. They face downstage. The altar, if it were seen, would be in the house. There is a votive candle rack with some 20 small candles stage left. There is an unseen door upstage left which leads outside and another unseen door downstage right which leads to the back room of the church. It is late at night. 
Soon, we hear the heavy offstage left door open and close. Boyle and Tommy enter. They're low-level mob associates, so they're probably wearing leather jackets. They cross downstage down the aisle. They both take in the space, maybe wander around a bit. You sure he said the actual church? Frankie said she helps clean the place at night. You got your piece. Yeah. Is it loaded? Yeah. Let me see it's loaded. Tommy takes a gun from his waistband, takes out the clip, shows it to Boyle, and then reloads the gun. Yeah? All right. Good. Tommy returns the gun to his waistband. What about yours? I know mine's already loaded. I'm hungry. You hungry? I forgot to eat dinner. Oh. You want a sandwich? You got a sandwich? No, I don't got one. I was saying for later. You know, there's that all-hours deli around the corner from Frankie's? Maybe after this, I was saying. They got roast beef? Yeah, they got roast beef. It's a deli. They got the lean roast beef? I don't know. Probably. Because I can't do that fatty stuff. Gotta have that lean roast beef. I I bet they got lean roast beef. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good for after. Good. She ain't here. She's gonna be. How do you know? Frankie don't make mistakes about that kind of thing. Right. Right. What's the matter with you? What? Nothing. You nervous? Nah, nah, I'm good. Oh, I get it. What? You're nervous about being in a church. No, I ain't. What, you ain't Catholic? No, I'm Catholic. Yeah, I could tell you was Catholic. You could tell? Your shoulders, uh, you straightened up when we come in. That's Catholic. I didn't do that. You did. No, I don't think I did. You did it, man. You straightened up, but I get it. When I was a kid, you got smacked if you don't straighten up coming into church. These places make kids out of everyone, and it's no big deal. Sure. Whatever. Kind of pretty, I think. Weird to be here now for this thing, uh, this thing we're doing. Yeah. Um, you done things before, right? Yeah, done a lot of things. Never in a church, right? Never in a church. Kind of one of those things you didn't really mess with. Uh, Priests, nuns. Yeah, 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 sure. Can't think of why not, though, what with all the diddling. The what? The the diddling, you know, uh, handsy priests. Would have thought for sure someone would want a priest dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Who knows? Yeah, I think there was one of those in this church. It was news for a minute, but I think they just moved the priest. What was his name? That priest, he touched a bunch of kids. Healy. That was it. Yeah. Father Healy. You heard of that? Yeah, I heard of that. What's the matter? What? Nothing. You're acting funny. Maybe you're acting funny. Ah, Christ. You one of them? The kids? What? No. 
Well, it happened in a lot of churches, they're saying. Uh, other priests. I mean, I don't know. One might have dropped a hand on me once. I, I, I don't know. I don't think about it ever. It's just, there's, there's nothing to think about. I think you would know if it happened to you. Look, I mean, there was always a priest around the neighborhood. You know that. You're Catholic. I stopped going to church when I was like 14 or something. I don't really remember. Okay. Yeah. Sure. You know, it, it's okay. I mean, it's not okay, okay. Not okay that it happened, but if it happened. But you know, you, you shouldn't feel bad about it. If it did happen to you, I wouldn't have been your fault. Yeah, I know it wasn't. I wouldn't have been. You've been doing this a long time, huh? <laughs> Shit. Uh, since I was your age. What was your, uh, first, like... What, you nervous? I, yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I was driving a truck for Frankie yesterday. Now I'm here. Easier than you think, you know? Really? Yeah, you just gotta think of the physical. The physical? Your physical movements, right? Uh, just yours. Like, what do you gotta do to shoot someone? Pull a trigger. So you think of your finger. That's it. Just squeezing. Squeezing, huh? Okay. My first time? That was a shit show. Some kid, uh... Petey DeFiglia decides one night he's going to shoot himself full of heroin and rob somebody. He gets himself a shotgun and bursts into this card game. West 43rd Street just happened to be one of Frankie's games. Uh, Petey gets out of there with 500 bucks, maybe, and hightails it back over the bridge. I'd been hanging around some bars down in the kitchen. Had a few scraps, so Frankie finds me and asks me to do this thing for him. Says, Petey DeFiglia's got $500 on him. You do this thing, you get to keep the $500 he has got, and I give you another $500 on top. I never even seen $1,000 in my life. So I say, sure. Petey lived in Brooklyn, so I got to borrow my brother-in-law's car, drive out there. Petey hung out in this one pizza place there, so I find him, and as I'm getting there, he gets into a car around the corner. I walk up to the car. I had this old shitty little 38, and I had just put all the rounds through the driver's window. Five shots. Uh, turns out, Petey wasn't even in the driver's seat. He was in the passenger seat. It was a buddy of his or something in the driver's seat. He's dead as Good Friday. Now, I had hit Petey, but only in the shoulder, so he gets out of the car and starts running. I'm chasing after him, trying to reload this 38. Finally, we get to a park, trips over a tree root or something, and that's where I got him. Took the 500 from his pocket and got out of there. Frankie gave me the other 500, and from then on, they had something needed doing. They called me. I shouldn't be talking about this. Why? What's the matter? I just... 
You know, we're in a church. It doesn't feel right. I'm fine, though. What, you think you're going to hell, Boyle? If anyone is, <laughs> shit, probably. You serious? Man, I don't know. I didn't used to care. Guys like me, though, we don't live a long time. Know what I'm saying? And I don't do good things. I, I've never done good things, not regularly anyway. Bad things, real bad things. I've done those my whole life. I, I've killed 34 people. Jesus. Jesus is right. 34 souls I'm responsible for. How many people you need to go to hell? They don't give you a number. They just say don't do it. Now, I'm thinking if what we were taught in these kind of places is true, I'm fucked. I'm on a bullet train headed straight for hell. You can't really believe that. Heaven and hell? Man, that's just what they told us because it got told to them. Yeah, but what if it's real? That's all I'm saying. It had to have come from somewhere, right? And worse, I chose to do bad things. I didn't do them for any kind of greater good. I did them for money. And I'm here again. I'm just gonna keep doing bad things until something bad happens to me. It's just who I am. I don't know, man. I, I think... I think that you've got what you know, right? Maybe not what you know, but what you feel. And you feel a certain way about certain things, and you're that way for your whole life. Like a compass, right? Compass? Yeah, yeah. Something that points you to where you should go. But it's yours. It's only for you. Everyone's is different. Now, what if something comes along and it sets your compass way off kilter? You're going to go with what will set your compass right, right? Even if that's against the church or laws or whatever. It's for you. But there are some things that you just don't do. Universal-like. When I was a kid in the neighborhood, there was this guy, right? Kind of homeless guy. I don't know his real name. We always called him Bingo. <laughs> Who knows why? He was just always around. He was outside of the grocery store, the pizza place, the bar, you know, always outside of places. He always wore the same thing, too. He always wore one of those, you know, green, like, army jackets. Didn't matter what the weather was like, he always wore that jacket. And he always wore one of those fishing hats, you know, that kind of looked like a bucket. And, you know, he was kind of creepy looking. He used to say weird things like, you know what a dead body smells like in the heat? You know, weird shit like that. And nobody ever had a problem with him. He was weird, but he was just bingo who hung out outside of places. Everybody kind of liked him. He kind of liked everybody. So, there was this girl in our neighborhood. Pauline Petrosino. Oh, she was gorgeous, man. <laughs> All the guys wanted her, and you just knew she was going to go somewhere and be a movie star, a model, something. She was a few years older than me. So, when I was about... 13, and she was maybe 17, she started seeing these college kids from uptown. You know, rich, yuppie kids. She was getting seen less and less around home. We all figured she'd marry one of them, and that would be it. So she came back into the neighborhood one morning. She was barely walking. 
She had two black eyes, teeth missing, split lip. Fell down crying at her mother's stoop. These kids, these college guys had done it to her. Beat the living shit out of her, among other things. So Pauline Petrosino is laying in bed, and what do these yuppies do? They start sniffing around the neighborhood, asking after her. Real scummy, they know where she is and what they've done to her. One day they're outside the bar, and who comes up? But Bingo. Bingo takes one look at these two yuppie pieces of shit, walks into the bar, right past them, comes back out with a pool cue, and cracks it over one of the yuppies' head. <laughs> then he kicks the other guy in the balls and uses the broken half of the cue to smash his face in. Had to have hit him like 15 times. <laughs> then Bingo drops the cue pieces and walks away. You go down to the neighborhood now, You'll probably see Bingo still hanging out in front of places, and you'll see everyone shake his hand, and you'll see Pauline Petrosino still scarred up, but you won't see any yuppies. Maybe that's not legal justice, but it's justice. We know this nun's name? Yeah, uh... Boyle takes a folded picture out of his pocket. Her name is Sister Patricia Marie De La Renta, Puerto Rican. Gave us a picture, too. Boyle hands the picture to Tommy. Ah, oh, Christ, she looks familiar. I saw her on the news. Yeah, bet you did. Oh, she's the lady who set up that shelter a few blocks from here. Converted a whole warehouse. Made it livable for bums, right? That's right. Paid for by donations from the parish. Got a district attorney to help her out, too. Community outreach. Yeah, yeah. Someone's trying to buy the place, right? And now she's kicking up dust over it, yeah. Shit. How'd she end up on Frankie's bad side? Who do you think is trying to buy the place from her? Really? Frankie wants that warehouse. Wants to turn it into some kind of music venue for yuppie kids coming in from the burbs. Go legit. This Sister Patricia seems none too pleased about Frankie Giordano taking her project from her. And Frankie doesn't like complications. So, here we are. Jesus. There's something else, too. Something familiar. I swear I know a face from something else. Tommy hands the picture back to Boyle, who folds it and returns it to his pocket. So what? We wait? We wait. End of excerpt. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Green Light Podcast. You were on it that time, Mark. You were on it. Good job. We are here with our writer of the week, Colin Maddox, who wrote our play that we just read, We're Never Gonna See Heaven. Colin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so also, where are you calling us from, Colin? Because we, we always like to ask this of our of our guests. Yeah, I'm calling from Iowa City, Iowa. Oh, cool. Um, wow, that's beautiful. new. Yeah, that is it? Okay, right on. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, home to the University of Iowa, although mm-hmm. I did not go there. Um, 
I just live here. Yeah. Well, very cool. Are you are you from Iowa or is this a recent development of you being there? I am from Iowa. Uh, yeah, originally I've yeah lived in Iowa my whole life. Gotcha. Cool. Well, very good. Yeah, we can we can check that state off of our green light guest map. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely... I, I'm sure that was real high on your priorities. Like we got to get an Iowan in here. Yeah. Colin, it was number one. So, <laughs> yeah. so now we got a new number one, I guess. Well, you know, honestly, because this play is set in the Bronx, we've, we've had a lot of New Yorkers. So yeah. it's cool to have someone who's not from New York yeah. or LA. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Right yeah. So I guess next, I think the Dakotas are next up on my list. Of there you people go. Who, <laughs> people from oh, yeah. either North or South Dakota. Maybe Alaska. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. But let's jump into it, Colin. So Give us your writer origin story. How'd you get started writing? Um, yeah, I, uh, I was in high school and I was acting in a lot of school plays and shows in the community. And we did a play at my high school that was written by another student, um, a friend of mine, our, my theater director at my high school, Bill Myatt. I kind of owe him a lot um, for kind of fostering me uh, artistically, so to speak. And um yeah, shout out to Bill. Bill Knight just retired from my high school. Uh, he'd been there like for 40 some years or something wow. like that. Um, heck of a guy. Heck of a guy. Um, and uh, yeah, we performed this play that was written by another student. And um, Mr. Myatt kind of came to me and said, I think you could also write because you've expressed some interest in that. And um, yeah, I just started re- working on small stuff after that and took off. And yeah, I've been writing plays ever since. And that's um, oh, shoot. That's like. 10 years now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Well, where did you get your inspiration for this piece specifically? Mm. Uh, I love the work of Martin McDonough. Mm. Uh, yeah. I love everything that he has done, all of his um, Irish plays and everything is all of his plays and his films too. Um, in Bruges is one of my favorite films uh, of all in time. Bruges is great. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, and I kind of took that idea of this. I, I love, there's something I want, I think it was Bill Hader was talking about his TV show, Barry. I love, which, we love Barry, Barry in this house. We do. Oh man, it's so good. Um, and I was listening to an interview with him and he said something like, oh, maybe we do a show about Hitman or a Hitman or whatever. And they were like, well, Hitman, it's like a cultural thing in entertainment. They don't really, far more of them exist in like films and TV and plays than they do in real life mm-hmm. he's like it's like the it's like the job dog catcher like it doesn't really exist yeah <laughs> um, um but he he says something about that and i'm like yeah it's kind of true it's kind of a very specific thing well i'm a huge true crime nerd it shows up in my work a lot and specifically organized crime too i'm really into and this whole story that in organized crime so many of them also have this common thread so many gangsters have this common thread of being uh, devoutly Catholic or having being raised Catholic. So what is that kind of those basic teachings of Catholic morality? How do those kind of evolve as you embark on a career of killing people? Yeah. And um, what does it do when uh, the institution of the church has kind of corrupted your way of thinking and um, has kind of warped your way of thinking that everybody is bad, kind of like the character of Tommy is, is pretty jaded by life based on, um, what has happened to him. Um, and the church is kind of a figurehead for that. And also I'm fascinated by, um, quote unquote, good members of the clergy. Cause it seems like there's so few, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
I grew up Catholic and I was surrounded by a lot of, um, I went to Catholic school for the first few years. Okay. Um, and I, I was just constantly surrounded by priests and nuns and stuff. And the character of sister Pat comes from specifically where I grew up in Davenport, Iowa. There were a lot of nuns who were very big into like social change and, and, and social justice and, and civil reform and stuff like that. Um, and would start projects not unlike the kind that Sister Pat starts in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always wondered, you think of that, and then you think of, at the same time, there's this horrible history of kids being molested by clergy members. And how do those two groups of people kind of coincide? And right. my thought, when all of those cases of children being abused came out, I'm like, the nuns had to know something. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of came out of all of that, those ideas and bringing those together. And it went through, it's gone through many different iterations and it might go through more yet. Um, I don't know, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of how the, the genesis of what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. So for everyone listening to this, because, um, so we, we actually cut shortly before sister Pat comes in just to keep it down yes. to two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, right on. so for everyone listening, um, sister Pat is basically the, the hit that they're supposed to do. Um, and she is a nun who has sort of taken on this project of, I believe it's converting a, a warehouse into kind of like a homeless shelter. Um, and uh, what was I going to say? Frankie, the the kind of mob boss character, is trying to buy this warehouse, which is why she is a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also an issue that comes up later where um, it turns out that she assisted in covering up a a priest who was molesting children because she thought that that kind of scandal would hurt the chances of, you know, doing this project that she yeah. thought would help the community. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, I, I want to uh, sort of talk about more about just this genre in general. Um, you mentioned how um, uh, some of the good things that you can do with it and things. I also think it's sort of interesting because of the idea of, you know, this whole trope of even monsters love their mommies, you know? And so, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's this idea of these tough people, these people who kill people for a living, but still at the end of the day, they have someone who they love and they care about. It, you see this it, specifically in the character of Tommy, you know, who yeah. literally is doing it to help his mother. Um, I think one of the big tropes of this is like the Sopranos, you know, one of our housemates yeah. who's, who's a writer talks about how, um, you know, they do so much to make, um, uh, I'm blinking on the- Tony? Uh, yeah, guy? yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, how could I forget Tony? Oh, but um, just uh, how they do so much to make him seem like a good guy, even though he does these bad things. And I think that's a really interesting thing, just as a as an audience, as a reader, to sort of uh, grapple with and deal with. So I, yeah. I think there that is really well done in this piece and in a lot of pieces like this. Yeah. But yeah, we'll get well, more into you. that good versus evil discussion in a bit. Oh, will we? Oh, will we? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> moving on to our next question. So this is like a full-length play that is essentially just a conversation surrounding one crucial event. And we were both impressed that it never felt like slow or redundant. I know I never felt bored at all reading it. So like, what, oh, was, your, you. what was your motivation? Of, of course. What was your motivation for making this a full-length piece? And how did you work with pacing for a long work like this? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, uh, I think generally when I sit down to write something, I, when it comes to pacing, I think I always just kind of let the energy of whatever I'm working on kind of dictate that, um, which has ended up biting me later because I'll often 
be working on something and think, oh, this thing that I want to happen now happened 10 pages ago or whatever. And I burned that bridge already. So I, and I can't go backwards. And also I do think it's important when you're focusing on it's a one act, it is a full length, I guess you could say. Um, I've had some trouble marketing it as such because it's kind of a weird length. It's kind of just right. a little bit over an hour. So people are like, eh, is it a one act? Is it a full length? But sure. there's no inner there's no intermission in it. It's right. all in real time. So I think, and doing that in one set in real time, you do kind of have to find a way to like slowly reveal things about the characters, I think, and um, not show all your cards at first mm. um, is kind of how I tend to look at it. I don't know if that's answering your question. No, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so Going through a lot of it, I think, was just trying to make sure that nothing felt like it was dragging or, oh, we're, we're milking this moment for a lot of what it's worth or whatever. And the reality of this kind of thing and why I love theater and why I love writing and stuff and inventing is like in, in the real world, these guys walk into a church, shoot the lady and leave. Like, that's a very short play. That's yeah. probably a like five page play. Yeah. Um, and there's no discussion about morality in it, but instead I thought this whole thing and also it being set in a church, there's something that, um, the playwright, John Patrick Shanley said, who wrote doubt. Um, he said something like the practice of actors going into a theater and saying the same lines over and over again, show after show is kind of the same thing as prayer. So it's not mm. super different from going into a church and watching someone tell a sermon or read a parable uh, in the case of, you know, his play Doubt. Right. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. So that kind of gave me license also to not make the, to make the dialogue a bit more heightened yeah. and um, not as super hyper-realistic, I think. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of how I, I took it. Um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. That actually leads really well into my next question. So, yeah, so thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> did, yeah, I did that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I know you said that, you know, obviously the, the not realistic part of this is just the length of it. You know, the, um, the fact that this is a 68 page script instead of a five page script, but I actually thought the dialogue felt very naturalistic and, and easygoing. You know, we've been reading a lot of mm. Annie Baker lately and she does a really right. great job of that too, of just, you know, it it all feels like something you'd actually say, um, which right. isn't always the case. Um, so I thought that was really awesome. Um, but especially hearing that you're not from the Bronx, I thought that was really interesting, too, because this play is written, you know, in a little bit of a dialect. Um, mm -hmm. So what is your process with writing dialogue and how did you achieve this? Um, I think my process with writing dialogue is just always like, to, it sounds really, really simple and really obvious, but to just start, because if you just sit down and uh, this is going to make me sound really pretentious, so just <laughs> bear with me. Um, but I, I write the first draft of everything I work on on my typewriter. Um, so no going back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there's no going back. But also, if you just sit at and it works with a computer or a pad or whatever you're working on. But as, as long as in my opinion, my experience has been as long as you sit and just start typing and then just don't stop typing for a while, the dialogue just kind of appears. And then through that process of just being in the room and imagining those people together and what they would say, you as the writer learn more about the characters as you go. 
So I think the first draft is just kind of a bit of a let's just get into the space and work some stuff out. You kind of have a vague idea of where things are going to go. But I'm never very I have like a very basic outline when I start a rough draft of something. Um, And then the editing process is fleshing out the ideas you figured out or you discovered in the first draft kind of. So um, in terms of the dialogue being like regional, um, I am a huge fan of just gangster films and television. You talked about the Sopranos. I, that was my big, my first big pandemic watch (laughs) um, of like binge watching. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. Um, but I also like, I love Goodfellas. I mm. love um, all those kinds of movies, stuff like that. And there is a rhythm to how characters in that world speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something that it's a message given is a message received. There's a lot of confirming, I think, in the dialogue. Hmm. Um, and there's something to that. And then I just like, I just watch so much of that stuff. I just, I guess I internalize some of the, the cadences and how they say certain things. And also I, I probably look like a crazy person when I'm writing. Cause I talk stuff out as I'm <laughs> typing. So I'm like, Hey Tommy, what are you doing over there or whatever? And then I'm like in the accent or whatever. And it's, hey, it's Tommy. probably a very, <laughs> yeah. Hey Tommy, what are you doing? Like we're going to go get, so they, they got roast beef there. Yeah. It's lean. Um, yeah. Stuff like that is very, it's, it's also just very fun to me to in, to invent and stuff like that. And yeah. I've written plays that are set in my own world in the Midwest, and they just seem – it's like – I think another writer says it's like it's like writing about your own eyeball. Like you're too close to it, and it, it makes <laughs> – it's like it's a little bit easier to kind of imagine people in, in faraway lands and kind of um, – discover that and also mob history is now like part of our american like mythology in a weird way yeah so i think as a writer it it makes sense to fictionalize some of that but take some inspiration from the real world so to speak yeah Yeah, no totally i really i I really like you calling it mythology i mean i i've never heard uh i guess kind of mob legends or gangster legends referred to that way but i really like it that's yeah that is our our american mythology that's yeah that is really cool um, so we're going to get into a bit of a spoiler. So for anyone who doesn't want to hear this, I guess, fast forward. I mean, you have it. It's whatever. Y- listen kind to of it. Spoiled a listen lot, to it. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> um, so obviously at the end, Boyle has sort of decided to repent and not kill uh, Sister Pat. But Tommy does it anyways, because she admitted to covering up the crimes of the priest who molested him as a child. Which character do you tend to side with? Tommy or Boyle? Oh, a big one. Um, a big question. I, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Um, I I I, <laughs> I don't know. I think there is something to what both of them are saying. There's an idea that if you see a lot of horrible stuff or experience a lot of horrible stuff, or even if you don't, the idea of creating your own kind of versions of right and wrong, which is kind of how I see Tommy's philosophy of it, is like, I know what happened to me was wrong. And I know doing this now is right um, because that thing was wrong. And, and Boyle seems to come from a more I, I really think about uh, in the original versions of the script, it, it, it was always Tommy and Boyle together. But the the target changed for a while. It wasn't a nun. It was just um, it was just a girl, I think, who had done something horrible to the mob boss. Oh, okay. um, and I, I don't remember what it was, but it was different than um, a nun. And his big thing was he's an older guy and he's done horrible things for his entire life. And like you said, he he now wants to repent because he's um, spent his entire life essentially killing people for money. 
And um, if the religious teachings that he was that were imparted upon him as a child turn out to be true or real, or if he believes that they are, he is, as I think he says in the play, like he's on a bullet train headed to hell. Mm. Like he is, um, you know, um, not doing great, so to speak. Um, I don't know who I, who I lean towards. Um, the angry, I, I think that's one of the cool things about writing is that each character in a piece um, some other playwrights have talked about this too, is like one part of your psyche. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can write accurately for any character if you don't somewhat identify with them on some level. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think with Boyle, it's like, yeah, nobody wants to see an old lady who's a nun get murdered in front of them, even if you're a hardened hitman. Yeah. yeah. But I, I also very much empathize with the anger that Tommy has and the frustration and the pain that he feels and uh, I identify with Sister Pat not wanting to be murdered. Um, yeah, I I think I yeah me too. I can. Well, I that's can kind get of like that. you know, of course what of course what she did in terms of the cover up was horrible. But then it's also in a way you can see a little bit where she's coming from of like, well, I thought that you know the good outweighed the bad in terms of not jeopardizing yes. this project. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think that's what all like sort of how you mentioned all of them have their own sense of doing what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. And right. b- both of them or all three of them are, are fighting for that. And I think that's why that's what a lot of good theater does is it makes you think about it and it starts a conversation and it's like, you know, maybe not one of them is fully in the right and not one of them is fully in the wrong. Yeah. And so it's just sort of, you know, it starts a conversation, which I think is uh, is really great. Yeah. So another slight spoiler. Yeah. So at the end, uh, like we said, even though Boyle seemed ready to repent, he almost snaps out of it, I guess, right at the end um, after Sister Pat has been killed. Um, So I feel like his decision to leave the situation and go get a sandwich with Tommy like he originally planned is symbolic of his return to his regular life in a way even though this seed for change was kind of planted in him. So talk about your decision to end the script this way and what happens next for Boyle. Um, well, I have to ask, did I, um, the copy of the script, is this the, I'm trying to think, cause I have done, I haven't done edits on this since I sent it to you guys, but I'm trying to think um, it does end with, and I haven't taken a look at the script for a while, which I should have done before getting on the phone with you guys. But um it ends, he, he does go um, with Tommy, but he also, like, he lights the votive candles, um, yeah. so to speak. And I think that means when Boyle leaves this church, in some way, he's going to make sure Tommy kind of pays for this. Mm. Um, in my head, it's like he is either going to kill Tommy himself or he's going to report him uh, to the police um or something like that i don't think it's over between the two of them Interesting. Uh, but i think and we say it a lot in theater i remember this being like the the main motto in acting classes is you get more with honey than you do with vinegar so it's this idea of placating tommy oh yeah let's go get a sandwich everything's fine everything's cool um we're cool you and i and uh in reality he's like maybe figuring out what to do with him next i think um and the vote of candles, there's three um, lit at the end for each of the, for all three of the characters cool. kind of like help all of us. Like she's dead. I can't do anything for her anymore. Um, this kid is in a lot of pain, but I might have to deal with him. And then I have to deal with all of this now with myself. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. I really like that. 
yeah that's, that's really cool. cool yeah for sure all righty so those are all of our script questions so now we're gonna ask some questions awesome. about you colin yeah. well yeah they're still they're still somewhat related to the script yeah but yeah but also about you, Colin. So, uh, <laughs> so what is your history with the church? Did you grow up in it? And if not, sort of what is your affiliation with or impression of the church? Yeah, um, I grew up in the church. Uh, I went to Catholic school for the first, I believe, five years of my education. And then the Catholic school I attended, uh, Sacred Heart Cathedral School in Davenport, Iowa, uh, closed down. And I went to public school, but I continued like my family. We were members of the parish um, and stuff like that. And we continued to go to mass until I think I think I stopped going to mass when I was like 14, 13 or 14. Um, And that's kind of when I had, I guess, in a very dramatic sense, you could call it like it's a crisis of faith, which is just (laughs) I I I stopped believing in God at some point and uh, I didn't really go back. But there are some things about specifically being raised Catholic that I think stick with you. Um, my entire extended family is Catholic. If we were to go to a funeral or a wedding or something, and it was in a Catholic church, you would see me like probably mouthing along to the prayers and doing the sign of the cross and going up to get communion and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Some parts of it. Yeah. And, and some parts of it are still very much a part of me. Like I have, um, I have medals that have saints on them, you know, that that was a big thing that, oh, you wear uh, the medallion of St. Christopher and it protects you when you go on journeys because he's the patron saint of travelers. Yeah. Stuff like that is just it's drilled into your brain so much at a young age. It doesn't really ever leave. Um, And you can have as many like intellectual awakenings, but there's still some part of you that is Catholic. For sure. Um, uh, My wife is um, a person of faith uh, and I'm not. So I understand the, the, the positive benefits that come from it. I just don't uh, necessarily adhere to it anymore. I think um, faith can be a really great thing uh, when expressed positively and expressed for one's like for self-help, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes, but I, it just doesn't, it's not my jam, I guess, is a very simple way to, as I like to say, I don't boogie with Christ. Um, <laughs> that is a funny but, way of uh, saying it. I, it disarms people at the very least. I yeah. mean, it's not as it's not as abrasive as saying I'm an atheist. Yeah, um, sure, sure, sure. You know, it's it's a lot softer. Um, so yeah, my my but I'm I'm fascinated by like religion in general. I think, and I wanted to set a play, like I said, kind of in or or among the clergy, kind of, and also talk about the kind of checkered history. I say checkered like some of it's good of the Catholic Church. It's mostly <laughs> sure, sure, sure. bad. Yeah. It's like a it's like a checkerboard where most of the squares are black. Yeah. <laughs> and like like maybe fifteen percent are red. Sure. Yeah. I, I think I think what you said is very strong about, you know, religion. Um, being Definitely used staying with you, for, yeah. uh, well, oh, staying oh, with yeah. you for sure, and just being used in a good way because I think a lot of times people can weaponize it in a very in a, in a most bad definitely. Way. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lauren and I are both uh, religious people, and so you know we like to focus on those positive aspects of it. Yeah, the, the well, spreading and I love know, and... like, um, yeah, my my whole my dad was raised Catholic, and his whole side of the family was Catholic because, um, yeah, my family is originally from Pennsylvania, um, so well, you know, in that kind of 
northern-ish part of the country. Yeah, it's definitely, um, a lot of people are Catholic. Um, and then my mom's side of the family is Lutheran, and um, I grew up Lutheran, still consider myself mostly to be Lutheran. Um, but yeah, and it's, it's definitely interesting because Lutheran is like, it's the first Protestant church. So it's very... Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's very close to Catholicism. You know, mm. a lot of the the terminology is the same. Um, a lot of the kind of ceremonies are very similar. I think the the overall attitude is a little bit different, just in terms of, you know, Catholicism maybe focusing more on the the don'ts of religion and Lutheranism focusing a little bit more on the the love and forgiveness aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it definitely does stay with you for sure. Like yeah. I I still probably know all the all the little uh, musical interludes in the services. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there is something positive to be said for the idea of community around it. I mean, there is a, I feel like I can pick a, another a similar lapsed Catholic out of a crowd. Be like, I know you. There's huh. something about you that, like, we're on the same level. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Yeah. And I, I wanted to write a piece about um, religion that is more about, the human's response to it and less about the actual like you know what's the word i'm looking for the theological like meanings of it sure because you know use interchangeably um for the theological stuff i think there's a lot of similarities there um but yeah more the human aspect and and it certainly can be used for positive there's certainly love and forgiveness and a, a positive sense of community to religion that i'm able to see kind of from an outsider perspective now um, which is really cool. Yeah. So, yeah. so I looked up St. Rocco's Cathedral, where this play is set, and did actually find a church of St. Rocco's in Glen Cove on Long Island, as well as one in Newark, one near Philadelphia, one in Rhode Island, and one in Cleveland. So was the name inspired by an actual church? Oh, wow. That's really cool. No, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, really? Well, good job then. <laughs> See, here I thought yeah, you just that's... put all this thought into it, you yeah. know? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Oh, man. If people start asking, like, what, how much, like, researching, how much thought did you put into this? I'm like, eh, you're going to find out real quick. I'm a fraud. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, um, St. Rocco's the patron saint of dogs. Hmm. Um, I think specific, I'm specifically think of abused animals as well. You'll find a lot of, like, uh, a lot of statues of St. Rocco holding like a dog or something or holding animals. I, I think he's patron saint of dogs or patron saint of abused animals, or it could be both. Um, and I kind of, now that I think about it more, it makes a lot of sense. Um, also, it's just kind of a fun play on names because Rocco seems like the most mob name you could for have. Sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Next to like Vinny um, yeah. or, or, you know, or Tony or something like that. Like, hey, that's my boy Rocco. Like, um, I feel like that just made sense. And, um, yeah, I don't know what it was. Uh, I think it's primarily the dog thing. And like Tommy kind of reminds me in a weird way of an abused animal. He's yeah. kind of hurt, but still moving on. So it, it kind of has some resonance there, I suppose. But no, the name was not based on a, on a real place. Um, okay. I love names of Catholic cathedrals though. I think they're, some of them are really, really insanely long and yeah. a real mouth like our lady of perpetual heavenly grace or something like that it's yeah like, how do you how do you fit that on a sweatshirt like, yeah there's a school exactly with it. exactly yeah no yeah. <laughs> that's so funny saint rocco that really is yeah. that's good yeah uh all righty so now 
We have a segment, you've listened to a few episodes of the show, so you know, our detour segment where we talk about, you know, something that we've watched. We're going to do it a little bit different with you. We're going to ask you your detour for your favorite mob slash organized crime movie or TV show. Oh, that's really good. Um, I, it's less mob stuff, but I really love the show Oz, the prison show. Okay. That was on HBO in like the 90s. And it's got so many people in it that are pretty famous now that were not very famous at the time. So it's kind of interesting to see. It was like HBO's first like one hour long drama. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Um, and since it was on premium cable, they could show a lot more adult stuff like that. But uh, Sopranos is up there. Like I said, Good Goodfellas is one of my favorite movies of all time. Goodfellas has to be um, up there for sure. Yeah, as is um, In Bruges, which um, is a little bit less, a little bit less like explicitly organized crime or gangster, just in that the characters involved happen to be involved in organized crime. Yeah, for sure, sure. Um, so yeah, those yeah. Well, those are some good options for everyone. So if you haven't seen any of those, go out and watch all of them right now. Oh, go. man. <laughs> right now. What, you got nothing but time. Just do it. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, we're actually uh, freshly in lockdown again here in Los Angeles. Yes, so, we are. Yeah. Well, so now we, ha- we have even more time. And speaking of which, that transitions right into our next question. Yeah, so we have a couple of rapid-fire questions for you, which we've done on a few episodes, but just some kind of short, fun questions for you. Um, so first, do you have a new quarantine hobby? Uh, yeah, um, woodworking. Oh, cool. uh, I, um, yeah, we moved into a new place, my wife and I, uh, and yeah, I built a desk for myself and I built a guitar rack. Um, and I want to build more. Yeah. Nice. That's so awesome. That's you got along well with both of our dads. Yes, correct. Actually, <laughs> uh, you, you really would. Well, that, that's gotta feel really nice actually, like making something, especially like a desk that I'm sure you as a writer and just as a human being probably use a lot. And just to know like, man, I made this with my own two hands, yeah. my bare yeah. hands. I'm, I'm sitting next to it as we speak and it is rickety. What? Uh, I'm not very good at it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it does feel very it's very gratifying to make something yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, so moving on. So originally we thought you might be from New York, but we know now you're from Iowa. So what do you call like a sub or like a hoagie or like what is your term for like that sort of sandwich in Iowa? Oh, that's a good question. It depends on if it's hot or cold for me. Okay. Interesting. Um, a hot sub is a grinder, and a cold sub is a sub. Okay. Um, okay. And if you make it at home, it's a cold cut. Okay. okay. Wow. Very specific. Huh. I think for yeah. me, it's just sub across the board. <laughs> yeah, right it's on. it's a sub. And then if I'm around my northern family, every once in a while, it's hoagie. But that's Interesting. it. Right <laughs> hoagie. hoagie to me is a type. That's the bread. Okay. Really? Huh. Yeah, that's because it's called a hoagie roll, right? I, mean, I think I think so. Yeah. I mean, a hoagie roll, or like I know in because we're originally from North Carolina. Um, we are. So oh, okay. uh, I don't know. I feel like there it's just it's just sub roll. Yeah. For the bread. Yeah, oh, we're okay. we're simple. We're simple people. <laughs> you guys got food. good barbecue down there. Though. Oh, oh man. yeah, that's we like miss the big it. Thing. Yeah, that's that's oh, the yeah. one thing I not the one thing. Of course, I miss a lot of things about North Carolina, but that's one of the main food things, at least that we that really I miss. cannot yeah. get out here. Yeah, exactly. Nothing, nothing got, close to it. You guys got barbecue and the Avit Brothers. That's the most I know yeah, about North Carolina. That's true. And, and you know what? That's that's two of the best things I would say. <laughs> yeah. I actually know a couple people that are kind of Avit Brothers adjacent. You know, like I know a couple people who know the Avit Brothers. Oh, and, hey, like, really? Knew them when they were kids and stuff. Yeah. 
I'm the biggest Ava Brothers fan. Oh wow! Really? Them. Wow! I'm just yeah. not into country music really at all. But that's fair. Yeah. Well, and yeah, of course, Lauren's family are originally from Pittsburgh. Yeah, so that like, was kind of drilled oh, yeah. into us. They were like, "You will not be Southern." <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I I went to like five to six Kenny Chesney concerts when I was in my youth. So I'm a little bit different than Lawrence. (laughs) Yeah, um, fair enough. (laughs) Alrighty. So we have one final question for you. Yeah. So going back to our, you know, sub hoagie grinder cold cut, what is on your ideal one of these sandwiches? What kind of bread? (laughs) What kind of meat and cheese? What veggies? What sauces? This is probably the most important question that we're going to ask you. Yeah. Ooh. um, Well, if it's, yeah, if it's okay, if it's just a normal sub, I like Italian stuff. Mm. So I will uh, do ham, salami, uh, capicola, um, or if you watch The Sopranos, gabagool, <laughs> um, and uh, provolone cheese, onions, tomatoes, and then I like uh, you guys in North in North Carolina, North LA have the restaurant chain jimmy john's do you we do oh yeah we do, in we, do. Oh, you do. we do yeah okay yeah. they're they, i think they're, they have them out I, here too oh really wow oh i thought i don't know why i thought it was just the midwestern they're everywhere here they're oh, really? everywhere yeah. i think they're originally based out of somewhere in illinois oh. but they have a sandwich called the italian nightclub which is everything i'm describing and it's yeah, just white basic that. sub bread and it's very good it's ham and then you got the fatty capicola it's so good and then the the sauce is just like vinegar and olive oil oh yeah um and i love that i don't know why it's i love it so yeah that's the perfect sandwich that's good that is a good choice yeah all right well those are all the questions we have for you so thank you so much for coming on do you have anything you'd like to plug uh yeah uh i have uh like i said earlier partially inspired by your guys's and this show specifically we're starting a um a midwestern version of a play reading <laughs> podcast uh it's going to be called it's hopefully launching here in the next couple weeks it's going to be called the house is open um and uh yeah it's a we're going to take each episode is kind of not unlike this is going to be a reading of a new play specifically by an iowan writer uh that's kind of the spin we're doing on it um and it's being co-produced by a theater company that uh i'm on the board for here in iowa city called dreamwell theater that's awesome. Um, and that'll be available on all your standard podcasting platforms, just like this one. Um, and yeah, so that's what I got coming down the pike at the moment. Awesome. And uh, yeah. That is fantastic. So let the it, house is open. Check it out in a couple weeks. Yes. Uh, let us yeah. know when that uh, drops and we can definitely give you a shout out on like our social media pages and everything like that. Because that, uh, that sounds like a good idea. We like that. Oh, especially especially so the much, yeah. especially the Iowa specific twist to it. I think that's really cool. Yeah. For like local yeah, I, I don't I don't think enough people uh, know enough Iowans and we're uh, we're uh, we're an okay bunch of people, you know. <laughs> well um, well if you don't know any Iowans, listen to the house is open and then you might you might get some. to learn what they're all about. So, yeah, thank you so much, Colin. Uh, if you want to hear more from Colin, if you want to contact him, if you want to produce this piece, or, or if, if you, you want to read the rest, read the rest or pick his brain about his favorite sandwich toppings, his email will be in our description. So, I think that's it. Thanks you so much again for coming on, Colin. We really appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you guys so much. It was very nice. All right, bye. All right, bye. Bye-bye.